welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon welcome to the humans of triathlon or hot podcast this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from Melbourne Australia joined by my two co-hosts as always Carlos aka Charles from London UK and Sheila Trelevan from Grimsby Ontario Canada and we're back from a little break uh was an even longer break for me but glad to be back and we're getting things going again with a pretty special guest today and i will let sheila introduce him okay so go big or go home is the motto of today's guest and from what i've seen his goals and accomplishments live true to that saying as a youngster his sport was swimming but now it's definitely triathlon uh, our guest today was 13th at the 2016 olympics in rio third in 2017 fifth in 2018 in the iq triathlon world series two-time winner of the Middle East 70.3 Ironman Championships and the 70.3 world record holder with an incredible time of 3 hours 29 minutes 0.04 seconds like an hour faster than myself. So, um and most recently, if you followed the World Championships in Lausanne, Switzerland, Our guest today was at the top of the podium and he is the ITU World Championship um winner of the grand final. Please welcome from Norway, Christian Blumenfeld. Hello. Thank you. We are super glad to have you on the show. Um I I just reached out on Instagram just randomly pretty much hoping that you I would get a reply and you were uh you i just it was amazing to see a reply from you and that you were happy to come on the show so we're absolutely excited to have you well thanks it's very nice to be here and uh, getting the opportunity to chat to you guys and i have to say that i think you are the third pro that we have if i'm not mistaken so we have uh, interviewed dave scott and sheila trelevin so hopefully you're not too nervous to fill up those boots <laughs> Amber Ferreira too so you Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and we had Barry Fisher who was a pro in Xterra so. Oh. You got a few. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right, you're on the number. Oh, on the fourth one. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And it's a good list ahead of me as well. So, where are you right now? Uh, right now I'm back home in Bergen. So, we I, I came back for, on Wednesday after Nice. We spent a few days in this after the race because we just wanted to chill out and then uh and enjoy the sun Good. and then uh I've been home since then and then I have another week before I fly to Jersey for Super League so trying to oh, yeah the Super League's coming yeah. up that's just trying to keep the fitness a little bit high and the the, the momentum because uh the Super League is for sure like a race I want to win again Yeah, I imagine um 
It's crazy how much you guys, especially the WTS and all your athletes travel so much. Uh, how, how do you how do you manage that? I mean, you were for, you were in Switzerland doing a short distance race. Then you go to Nice a couple of weeks later to do the 70.3 Worlds. Now you're going to an even shorter and faster race in Super League in Jersey in just another couple of weeks. So that's like some big, big amount of traveling and just um, within the span of a month. How do you manage that? Uh, the traveling isn't that bad, like as long as it stays inside Europe. Uh, but immediately when you start changing your time zone, it, it can be a mess because then you're suddenly lacking a few days of sleep and then uh, uh, you really start struggling so as long as I'm staying inside of Europe or not changing the time zone it's, it's not that bad like uh, you just have an easy day a uh, little bit less training and then you're basically you're just resting so it's more kind of a rest day than uh, uh, anything else yeah so how do you just curious how do you main, maintain the intensity of the racing like there's so much racing that you do in short periods of time like you win world championships then you go get fourth at ironman world championships now you're going to race over to super league like how do you how do you just keep that energy and um intensity going for so many races well right now uh, it's kind of uh, we we just build it up to the sun and the test event. So we haven't really prepared for for the 70.3. But then uh, again, we used to do a very high volume of training. So we, we're just kind of floating on that going into the NIS race. Okay. Uh, but also now when I finally feel that uh, the body is responding again, it's just uh, kind of uh, super enjoyable to go and race again. I'm just pleased that I have the opportunity to do another few races instead of uh, finishing my season season now. Yeah, you've had a, a interesting 2019 season. I mean, you had a few bad races, a few crashes, but then it seems like you're finishing really strong now, which must be amazing. Yeah, yeah especially for the confidence. Like, uh, for example, going... Uh, I think uh, halfway through the season, I had like two fifth places and uh, two 32nd places and two DNF to summer yeah. up the season. And uh, my plan were to try to win the overall. So <laughs> that's basically that, that's that's not where you want to be. Uh, I mean, so that, that it, wasn't it, an unrealistic goal after last after the twenty eighteen season, the amazing season that you had. Right, you got multiple second places, and you had an amazing twenty eight season. So I'm sure you went into twenty nine hoping for the win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you always want to do it better than you did the year before. So. Uh, uh, I was really motivated going into last winters of winters of training, and I was kind of very fit going into like January. But then I uh, cramped up in the race in Dubai, and I think that uh, uh, gave me or was like destroyed my muscles and the legs more than I expected. And uh, I think I've been struggling with that for most of the early part of the season. So now it's just good that it's. Uh, that it likes it's responding again. They definitely responded. <laughs> well, <laughs> I say. Um, that that's awesome. I before we I just wanna 
take you back to I we just want I just want to learn a little bit more about how you got into the sport in the first place you know like um how and when did you get into triathlon because from what I've heard like when you first got into it in Norway the triathlon scene wasn't it was almost non-existent so what got you into the sport and when uh I was back when I was younger I was just focusing on the swimming and playing football mm-hmm. and then I was uh with the swimming club we did some running sessions just to build endurance. Uh, but then, uh, eventually, I was a better runner than I was swimming. So, for example, I guess I would, would be one of the best at my age in running in the country. But in swimming, I was uh, struggling just to do the make the qualification to nationals. So, one day, my swim coach told me that, uh, or he realized I would never be a great swimmer. But he saw the the great potential and the fact that I was maybe one of the swimmers who was most motivated to do the training, but I didn't get the results. So then he thought that maybe uh, either, either open water swimming or triathlon or something, something different would be uh, suiting me better. So then he gave me like a list of different events and uh, a local triathlon was one of them. And I turned up and uh, won that race and, uh, few months later, I got contacted by one of the fathers who is now in the team. And he wanted to start up a youth national team because he realized that if we want to make it to the World Series in the future, we need to start with young guys or girls mm-hmm. and not just try to pick someone who was like 18, 19. We had to start much earlier, like to do uh, in Australia and in the rest of the Europe. So then when I was 14, I think, he came to me and he had, he had found two other athletes and also his son. So we were four guys back then who was like joining, who was like making the new national team. And since then, it's been just been building up and we've got more and more support. And a year after, my coach joined. And since then, he's been my coach. And also, we've got more support from the Olympic team. And now we are one of the sports you know that the olympic team is uh, uh really believing in yeah you've got a really strong team so is it just uh, three or four of you still no no no, no now we have two of them have quit of different reasons but then we have uh built it up so it's where we're more athletes now so for example i think the year after gustav joined and mm-hmm. and after that casper came along yep uh but it is still the same core that we started off with so uh, we know each other pretty well uh, and, it's, and it's also great to see that the guy you've been training with for almost 10 years is also able to uh, get the results out and performing well because uh, when we're training so much together you see how much everyone else is putting in to the in each training session and uh, also we're helping each other as well in the training so it's nice to see that it's a paying uh, that everyone else is getting or everyone in the group is getting uh, the results out of it that they really deserve. Yeah, I'm sure the the um, Gustav Eden's win in the World Champs was no surprise to you at all because I know a lot of people in the, you know, just the general triathlon community were pretty surprised, but I'm sure it was no surprise to you. Yeah, I know. For example, last year in the fall, when, I, when we spoke about the course, and uh, the climb and the downhill and descending. 
Gustav was just laughing of me when I when I said that I thought I would have a chance because he was so confident going into that race because he knew that it would be so fast in the downhill and uh, so yeah we, we have it uh, yeah we know I knew his strengths in that course and uh, it wasn't a big surprise I thought it would be between him and Alistair and I hoped that I would be up there as well but uh, I just failed on the bike. Mm. Well, yeah, just, just a casual fourth, right? Just a slight, <laughs> slightly out of podium, you know, but yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, I would say. Yeah, but uh, the worst part is that if I were fourth, but like in, in the mix, it would be fine or not fine, but better. But now I lost like five minutes on the bike. <laughs> That's kind of uh, uh, embarrassing. That was also uh, power-wise. I, I was just smashed. Uh, after 30k on the bike so uh was it just the course or did you just not have the legs that day the, i don't think the course i, I think I, I could have raced really well over that course even though i may be a little bit heavier than uh, most of the guys i think i'm usually able to produce enough power to still take a take advantage of the hill and then again you have the downhill and the super fast uh, half marathon by the promenade so i think uh the course was brilliant, and it was a course that I really wanted to race well, uh, well in. So um, it's just a shame that uh, the World Championship is switching uh, uh, courses each year, and it's not coming back next year. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna ask, what were you riding a road bike as well, or did you use your tri bike for that course? Uh, I used the uh, shiv, oh. so I I I just switched between. Uh, so I had like one week on the TT bike and I think that might have been a disadvantage to switch or maybe my position wasn't really uh, as good or I wasn't used enough to the to this position. Maybe I was sitting a bit lower because uh, uh, my muscles were just dead after 30k. Yeah. So... Uh, but, but for sure, I think it is a TT course if you are riding your TT bike well and you're uh, used to it. But I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what went wrong there. No, no. And I heard the descent was was um, was quite challenging as well just because, it, you know, especially if, sorry, I guess, especially if you're coming from North America, <laughs> the, <laughs> the descent I heard was, was quite um quite brutal like because it's very technical and as well you're going very fast and there were quite a few crashes i know jackson landry he uh he got wiped out on that. Uh, well i wouldn't say it was that technical it was uh it was uh it wasn't steep guy. enough <laughs> no it wasn't steep enough because you had to be pedaling for most of the okay. section downhill so uh uh it's more about being comfortable on your tt bikes you can stay in the air position in the as you're cornering okay so so if you know if you know the course well like you rooted who has been living uh who grew up there i think then it's uh then you can go really fast downhill uh because it it's kind of straight it's a little bit bending around but you can uh, if, if you are riding well you can be in the air position for most of the downhill oh, thanks for sharing that because yeah we've got all kinds of you know you hear all kinds of things um just from everybody, either they've been there and depend. I think it really depends on what country you grew up in. 
whether it's and what you're used to. Yeah, technical downhill, or if it's like, oh, no problem. I had to pedal most of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also I think it's if you come if you're racing the age group, it's maybe uh, much more difficult because then you have a lot of people behind you and in front of you that you have to pass. Yeah, that's or right. people people behind you is gonna pass you, and that's maybe making you a little bit more um, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. For sure. So we're kind of jumping around but um going back like when it's you when you were you know just talking about how the national team was formed for you guys in Norway and it all just seemed to happen pretty quickly so when did you actually did you always want to be a pro athlete or did you always know that you could be one or like was there a particular moment or race where you were like um what that gave you confidence to actually you know go all into the becoming a pro athlete uh, i think when we first started with the uh, youth national team back in 2009 then uh, the guy who were in charge back then he's uh, really good to kind of uh, motivate and speak you and kind of make you believe that even thing that's not possible is possible so i think back then we we really believe that we could do it well and then uh, the year after i did the European Championship, and I think I finished 50 seconds, 50 seconds in the junior race. And then uh, then it was like a long way to the top, just in the junior rankings. But then the following year, I finished ninth, and I were like up there. So I think in the, around 2011, when I also won a European Cup for juniors, I kind of felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm on track for... Uh, for reaching the top as a senior. And then uh, I think also I start believing that I could become one of the best in the world and also uh, really start believing that I could win the Olympics. Well, the um, your win in the grand final was just amazing to watch because, you know, last, last season, you coming second so many times, I was just rooting for you to win one. <laughs> and just to finally see you win was really amazing. I mean, that must have been really special for you. Oh yeah, I know. And also now it's kind of b- building up like uh, when when I'm gonna take the first win. You know, when people start asking and yeah. before each race, they think you can take your first win now. And then yeah, I'm gonna try, but it's it's it doesn't really make it easier when you're kind of uh, just counting second and third places without taking the win. And then uh, uh, going into the test event, I I was feeling really really fit, and then crashing out there. And there were a guy who was like sending me a picture of uh, a Shelton, like a dead body, with like uh, the text like waiting for Bloomfeld's first big win. <laughs> and kind of, <laughs> and I thought, okay, uh, I had that photo in my in my head running out in the last lap that he ain't gonna have a reason. Who sent you that? I was a guy in Norway. <laughs> oh, okay. So I was okay. He uh, he he will not be able to put. Uh, post that uh, picture again after this race. <laughs> no, you better not. <laughs> That's funny. Or maybe he should, and then he'll win the Olympics as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I know that I know we are we jump around, but I think that's what makes it kind of a fun and interesting podcast as well. I had a question, and I know that there's probably lots of people out there. Um, with a similar question and it's can you kind of give us a day in the life of what it's like 
or a couple of days in the life of what it's like to be a pro triathlete. Like, what does your day look like? What do you do? Where does the training fit in? You know, where's your, you know, when do you have like um, social time, things like that? Like, what does your life look like? Well, for example, when I'm in Bergen, then I, we usually swim from eight to 10 or eight to nine 30 with the, like the triathlete squad. Uh, so that's quite nice. We don't have to get up super early and swim with the swimmers who usually jump in the pool at 6 a.m. So we we are waiting until they are done and then we have the whole pool for ourselves. Uh, and then, for example, tomorrow we start with swimming and then 10.30 we have uh, a gym session together where we're like working with basic core and shoulder and mobility. And then after that... Uh, I ain't sure what the program is, but it might, it's probably like 90 minutes bike in an hour run or something like that. So uh, it's usually it's between three or usually it's three sessions per day. And you then... Um... And the social. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the social question oh, because yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's not much time, you know. We, uh, we spend uh, all the time on training mm-hmm. is with, uh, like, with my best friends. So going to a training session is kind of what I do as a social thing. So for example, if we go for a long ride, then it is also a long ride where I'm able to be social. And then uh, in the, in the times between, I usually try to put in a power nap and resting. And yep. it's also nice to be a little bit by myself when you're, when you're traveling so much, you don't really get that much time. Just for yourself, you're usually kind of uh, on someone's shoulder all the time. So this week, for example, when I'm home for 10 days, it's nice to kind of relax and not really do too much other than just training. And outside of training, so thank you very much for sharing that because I I know that um, there's there's a misconception, sometimes there's a misconception that from some age groupers that it's, it's you know, the pro's life is easy peasy, you know, like all they do is train and that's all they have to do. It's not that hard, but I know that it's a very difficult, it's very difficult because you are focused on that, that outcome. You have to train, you need to get your nap, you need to eat properly and all of that. So, you know, understanding that social comes only during training is, is um, important, I think, for other people to understand as well. Yeah, uh, but but again, I also understand the guys who is just in the in the in the in the mix where they also have to do work and then try to be professional <laughs> or or like kind of trying to keep that balance. Yeah, that that's hard. Like uh, I remember back when I was uh, going at school, and you're kind of leaving your home five thirty in the morning and you're coming back nine p.m. and you just go straight to bed, and that's. Uh, a really busy day schedule but well now I feel I, I still feel I'm busy you know even though I'm just going back home and having something to eat and resting and it just feel like uh, my spare time just goes flies by mm-hmm. exactly well if you have any spare time yeah if there's any <laughs> <laughs> just because that resting is so important for you right that's important so important for your recovery and your ability to be able to race as many times as that you as many times that you race like and then travel and and to do all those back-to-back events like i think rest is 
part of your training. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you need, you need to put in the hours of sleep that uh, your body requires. If, if not, if you go too many days in a row without sleeping well enough, then uh, your body doesn't absorb the training and then it's kind of doesn't make sense to do the training. Yeah. And you just uh, follow and you just kind of stay fit instead of improving yourself. And uh, you always want to uh, go a little bit further or go get a little bit stronger. And then you need to uh, adapt the training. I'm curious, how, how many hours do you sleep a day? And do you like track it or anything like that? Uh, I like uh, during night, I like to have at least eight eight and a half okay. if i sleep too much more than that then i will just wake up and and then midday i like to put in an hour between 40 minutes and one hour and 40 no one hour and 20 so around 60 minutes midday yeah that's it yeah that's, Got it. that's one of the difficult parts of of, be, of trying to be uh as an age grouper if you want to be competitive i think that it becomes like the key question it's not about uh, how many hours you put training it's just about how many hours can you actually manage to find to get some proper sleep. Yeah. And also, but as, uh, as an age grouper, if you have a busy schedule with work as well and maybe a family, then uh, you also need to find time for, for everything, not just your training, I guess. So it's that's a really hard balance. Like uh, for me, I only have one focus and that's to improve my fitness. And then, then I can kind of, uh, move everything to the side and just do what uh, it requires. So in terms of that, I, I will agree with the, the age groupers that sometimes the life as pro can be easy <laughs> because it, it, we, have, we have no excuse. We, we just have to focus on ourselves while they might have to focus on uh, people around them more. Well, yeah, it's a different kind of stuff. Mm. So what is it that drives you and keep what, what what are you aiming for like what's the goal that keeps you training and focused uh I, I like i love the feeling when you when i feel like my body is responding well and i can just push and push and push and feel like uh it's always something more that i can that i can dig i can dig deeper and deeper and dig deeper and deeper uh that kind of feeling is really good especially if uh, you're like running head to head shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to, to someone, and you are just able to go a little bit further and then kind of uh, show that, yeah, you won that battle. And also, also kind of turning around and get eye contact while you're breaking the gap. That's a really nice kind of satisfying uh, look to, to both give and get. <laughs> I was going to say, like, is this something that always has been? So when you were a young kid, um, you know, even just getting into sport or during sport, you're always very competitive. Is that just something that's always been in you or was it something that was um, developed? I, th- I think uh, it's something I've had all my life. Uh, I hate to lose battles. <laughs> so uh, I think one of my strengths is that I'm kind of yeah, able to uh, ignore the pain to just uh, being able to stand a little bit longer or kind of win that, go a little bit further or win that battle. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so fun to watch you race. I mean, regardless of the result, like, 
it seems like you always just have only one gear, which is to go and go hard. And I mean, it's just amazing to see you race. And yeah, like you said, how the your ability to just put the pain aside. So like, what's your thought process or mentality when you go into these WTS races? Know that you're going to you're gonna hurt like crazy and you're going to have to hurt to, to go for the win. So what do you think before the race and how does that... Uh, I yeah. think, well, in the moment, it's more... Uh, about the uh, reflex or kind of running uh, running on instinct because for example if we are running starting running together as a big group and then people are falling off and it's suddenly just 3k left then uh, you start thinking about the sprint and then I know that uh, the, the last 100 meter is probably not my strength so then uh, I kind of the further I get but the closer I get to the finish line, the more scared I'm kind of getting about the sprint. So then I kind of think, okay, how early do I need to go to get a long enough distance that I can hurt uh, as many as possible before the sprint? So kind of, yeah, I try to keep the, my, my sprint as long as possible because uh, then I can take advantage of my endurance and not just uh, a pure speed, top end speed uh, sprint. And... Uh, and also right. the pain in the race isn't that bad because that's just uh, if you're running 2k all out you know it's less than 6 minutes but then if you're losing the battle then you maybe have 2 weeks of feeling awful because you lost that <laughs> single sprinter <laughs> because then you have to kind of uh, even though you try to leave it behind after the race it's still in my mind until I've done another race so uh, uh, it's also a little bit, but I, I try to think about the feeling of have after race if I'm not winning as well. So uh, because I, I know that's uh, that's gonna hurt even more. So essentially, the moral pain is just unbearable. Yeah, and it's kind of even you try to ignore, you know, it's still back in your mind. Ah, oh, you, you and you you always try to kind of uh, analyze the race and what did I do wrong? Why didn't I win? And then uh, it's, it's kind of maybe a, a good process to go through, but it's really annoying as well because it does something to the mood. And uh, I just like to avoid it by trying to win it instead. <laughs> Very nice. So on that point, how, how is it um, – how do you find – like some people will dwell on the fact that they lost and why can't I, I, I do better? Why didn't, what did I do wrong? I, I, and they'll get very down on themselves and unable, maybe unable to come back and perform the way you perform. So what makes you different or allows you to be able to, yes, you hate that and you, you, you hold it there, but you're able to let it go enough that you can go back and kick some butt at the next race. Like, how do you do that? Uh, I think it's important to use it as a motivation and also trying to look forward and look at the next race as an opportunity to prove that what happened in the previous race was kind of wrong because uh, it's always the latest race that really counts. So, uh, for example, now, after Nice, where I really felt I underperformed on the bike, I'm now really, really <laughs> motivated to do everything I can every day until Jersey. So I can kind of just stand on the top of the podium there and kind of show that 
yeah, this is how it should be. Right. So you kind of have that you're only as good as your last race kind of mentality going on. Yes. <laughs> good. So uh, talk to us about, you know, you're going to Jersey now for Super League. How do you find that race format? Because it's obviously different from what you're, what, you know, the standard distance is. So what's that like? It's uh, really cool. Like, uh, even though the, the distance is shorter, you still have to be almost at the same pace because you're going through the triathlon like three times and it's still like an hour of racing. So uh, unless you have the 10 minutes break between each, you, you, you have to pace yourself kind of uh, evenly because, uh, yeah, so, so, so it's not like you can go all out for 2K and it's just the 2K yeah. kind of your, your anaerobic system that counts. It's still very anaerobic, no, very aer- aerobic. So uh, uh, I, f- I find it fits me quite well. And uh, also now as they have changed the bike course a little bit and the run course, I think it would be, it could be a course that fits me quite well if, uh, if I feel good. And uh, I- I'm just uh, curious about uh, what the format is. I haven't really seen uh, how it will be mm-hmm. and the, the rules for the, for the weekend. So that can also change uh, the dynamic on the race. So for those of our listeners that are not familiar with the Super League, would you be able to explain, like you just talked about a different format, but you explain to our other listeners, like generally what the format is for the Super League triathlon and what makes it different from the regular triathlon that we would go to on the weekend? Yeah. So instead of it's just a swim, bike, run, and like the standard distance in Super League, you have shorter distance, but you go through the triathlon multiply times. So for example, you do a short swim bike run, but then when you're done, you're jumping straight into the water and doing another round of swim bike run before you're doing it again, swim bike run, and then you're done. And uh, the fact that you are going through so many transitions and you're kind of mixing up the different skills, like uh, you can have a swimmer who usually getting uh, 45 seconds uh, gap to the to the slowest uh, swimmer suddenly only get 10 seconds and by a weak yeah, transition it can uh, almost be in the middle of the pack again so uh, because of the distance is so short and uh, it's so tight uh, I think if you do a mistake in Super League it uh, really hurts you yeah and, and also it's uh, two days of racing so you kind of go back to back. So uh, uh, it's it's really as an athlete, it's really challenging because you don't really know what to expect in the race. Yeah, so it's quite intense. And the distance is the swimming is like three hundred meters, and the cycle is <laughs> about five k, and the run is only two k. Oh wow! So yeah, anybody, anybody, yeah, you're right. One one little mistake or whatever, like anybody can win. Yeah, almost. And also last year at Jersey, they even had something called the short shoot. So the best swimmer, for example, he, he was allowed to do a short shoot on the bike course. Oh. So that's, that uh, uh, made the field stretch out even more. So then uh, it's been, uh, as a weaker swimmer, I had to just chase the, whole, chase the whole day to be able to catch back on on the train again. So that, that that's also makes it... Uh, uh, a little bit more challenging. <laughs> and it, uh, I, I th- actually, it sounds very 
complicated in my head to imagine trying to finish a run, get off your shoes, try to put in a wetsuit again, and go back to... No, 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 no. You don't put a wetsuit because uh, the time is... It's only 300 meters. So even though the water is like 16 degrees, we all swim without wetsuits. So you and uh, you suffer in, in silence for, for 10 minutes and that's it? No, Oh, it, oh, it depends. Like uh, if, if we have a swim back run with a break, then it's 10 minutes break. And uh, then you just have to do, set up your transition again and maybe trying to get some uh, calories on board. And uh, and then basically the, the time flies by so quickly. And the 10 minutes feels like it's three minutes. <laughs> so uh, you don't have enough time to put on a wetsuit. Right. Got it. And... Even uh, if, if, for example, uh, if it's enduro format and you're just going uh, without break, then you kind of try to do the transition smoothly. So, for example, you are you don't put the goggles and the swim cap in the box. You just carry them with you throughout the bike and run. So you can just, as you are putting your running shoes off, you're just kind of running straight into the water with your goggles and swim cap on. You just tuck that into the, like, your tri-suit somewhere or a pocket or yeah yeah like you can have your goggles around your neck and your uh, swim cap uh, in your tri-suit so uh, so the, as you're running the last few hundred meters on the run you just put on the swim cap and the goggles and then you're saving five seconds in transition and again that that can be uh, like making the the pack or not like i did one mistake last year i, I used a little bit too much my kind of you know in the inner sole in the shoes went up and thought, okay, I'm just going to fix this before I'm jumping in the, in the, in the water. But then just the three seconds there made the difference that I wasn't able to stay on the feet to the guys that I was running with. And then suddenly I was dropped. Yeah. And that short swim like that, 300 meters. Yeah. Staying on the feet is, is important. So does your training change when you, you know, vary the distances because you just, uh, you mentioned earlier that you weren't doing any 70.3 focus training um, and you still perform so well. So do you just think that fitness is fitness, especially when you're switching between such distances or do you change your training at all? Uh, no. Well, fitness is not just fitness uh, when it comes to 70.3. I think if we prepared for the distance, we, it could have been a totally different race mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you, you need to be more uh, aerobic than we were uh, for that race. So, uh, uh, but again, our priority was the grand final and the Tokyo test event. Right. Uh, but going into Super League, I think it's very similar to doing a sprint distance race. So maybe... Uh, and also now at, at the end of the season, we are very, we're more anaerobic than we were earlier in the season. So I think it, it fits in quite well to do it then at the end of the year. So going into next year, your main focus will be Olympics. Will you be looking at doing any 70.3s as well, or just that's your focus? I might do the World Championship in New Zealand yeah. if uh, it fits in. I'm not sure well, how this... afterwards, right? Yeah, that's like in uh, November or something. It's at the end of the year. Yeah. So it's very late. Depends a bit on how the Super League schedule is. But it would be nice to uh, compete there again. But that's basically it. 
might I might do one this winter just to qualify and also just have a week of traveling and breaking it up but uh, uh yeah so how 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 what what are you feeling for the olympics right now uh, it's it's good like uh i've been uh, it was it was a good course and uh it was interesting to see like racing under the warm conditions but uh mm-hmm. hopefully they will keep the distance as it is it would be a shame to do a 5k run like they did on the women's race in the olympics yeah because and i think even though if it's super warm everyone who's racing there is prepared for the heat so it mm-hmm. it's not like it's uh super dangerous because everyone is it's prepared for the heat and and uh like the marathon runners they're gonna run marathon anyway so it makes no sense to shorten yeah. down or race no that's terribly disappointing when that happens yeah so finger finger crossed that they will uh, keep it as it is even though it's super warm and does uh norway have any female athletes will you guys be doing the team event uh at the moment we have one girl who is about to qualify for tokyo lotte miller okay. uh, but we are the second girl we have two other girls who's kind of trying to get up to the same level but uh uh, hopefully they will uh, they're, they're working really well but hopefully they will be at uh, a high enough level maybe for 2021 or at least 2024 Olympics uh, but uh, I think it's uh, too much to ask for to get them uh, at the right level for uh, 2020 mm. I like how candid you were with that, that was awesome like real realistic, right? Yeah, and also also winning a medal in the individual race is a high enough task. So I think I think we should be realistic and kind of it's better to just put all the focus in one basket and try to go all in for that instead of trying to have some chances here and some chances there and then maybe on a perfect day we can do both. But uh, uh, I think. Uh, for 2020, it's all about the individual, and then hopefully we can take part of the real for 2024. Because uh, it, it's a little bit a shame to be traveling at the World Series of races and see everyone else having that second race the day after with the relay, and we are kind of just traveling back home or uh, having to watch. It would it would be great to take part of that. So hopefully in the future we can. Awesome. Okay. Um... To wrap things up, we we just have a final few questions. So we usually like to give our listeners a final message um, before you know ending the show. So what's the message you would want people listening to take away from you know just your story, the way you race, or anything at all? My message that will be be don't be scared of dreaming big, and uh, if you really want something, then uh, I do believe you also have the motivation to do the job and then the result will come. Love that. And um, are there any people or brands that you like to give a shout out to here that have helped you along the way? Uh, Well, obviously my sponsors who's been supporting me really well this year, even though I haven't really performed before the last few races of the season. It's been great to kind of feel the support 
uh, even though the times has been tough. And also my team and teammates who's who's uh, training well and kind of we're pushing each other every day. It's good to be a part of. You, you, I mean, you guys must be aiming. Are you looking to repeat your one, two, three in, in the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think that's the the ultimate uh, dream that we can do. So uh, I think we just let me disagree on the order, but uh, <laughs> it's a big dream. <laughs> it's a big dream for all of us to stand, be standing on the podium together. That was uh, a big moment back in uh, Bermuda last year, and. Yeah, for sure. That would be a massive thing for not just the team, but for I think for the whole sport in our way. Yeah. Okay, and uh, before we ask our last question, tell everyone listening uh, where they can find you online. Uh, they can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Strava. And most of the account is either Christian Blue or Christian Bloomfelt. Do you... I follow you on Strava, and it's inter- pretty interesting to see your training. Uh, do you post all of it online, or do you only do some some of the training sessions? Uh, well, uh, usually it's everything. I have it yeah. uh, automatically connected to to Garmin Connect, so it just goes over. But it's not like I'm coming uh, writing everything on it, like uh, editing yeah. the title. But I, I try. I, I try to get a photos of each ride and uh, each run when I'm uh, out traveling. It, it, it's a kind of a fun way to keep my training diary. Yeah. But I'm also having another, I'm also having training peaks, but it, it's kind of a nice platform to, yeah, share the inside of the training. So you're not one of those people who, you know, care about the other pros being able to see how you're training and stuff like that? Uh, no, not really. I think it's maybe hard to read all the interval sessions and it's also about how you are uh, pacing yourself and kind of uh, using different instruments uh, to pace yourself. It's not just about doing a certain uh, kind of uh, a set of intervals, but it's the approach you have to it and also how you are using the signs and the, and the, everything you know to adjust during and under and kind of yeah yeah it's not just about the stats but it's also how about how you run it and how you and how you build up the training weeks falling up after the set yeah absolutely okay um our final question is why do you try why do you try on yep uh i think as a young kid, I just loved being outside and doing everything of sport. Like I was, yeah, as long as I could be active, I had like a lot of energy and I was just running around. And And I think uh, triathlon is a great sport for getting out all the energy. You know, you have to be training four to eight hours a day. And uh, it, it's a good, uh, good, good way to get all the energy out, you know. And also, uh, yeah, I love swimming, biking, and running <laughs> normally. So <laughs> there is some tough days where it's kind of very cold and rainy outside, but normally it's very it's, – it's enjoyable and it gives me energy. And it's a, it's a nice way to uh, spend the time. Awesome. 
All right, Christian. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was amazing having you on. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been good to chef with you. I really look forward to following you. I just followed you on Strava as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, and all the best with everything going forward, Super League Olympics and everything. And yeah, we'll definitely be watching and rooting for you. Thanks. Once you become a, sorry, once you, uh, once everyone becomes a guest of the show, you become sort of like our sons. <laughs> then we start following you more. And honestly, you know, a crazy number of people that all, all there are 50 something guests now. It's like, I'm keeping a, a close, very, how do you say, creepy eye on each of them. It's crazy. So yeah, you'll be watched. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's great. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>